On August 2nd, 1527, the bubonic plague struck Wittenberg, the home of Martin Luther and the University of Wittenberg. About a week later, Elector John ordered Luther and the other professors to leave to nearby Jena, about 100 miles away. Martin Luther and Johannes Bugenhagen ignored the Elector's orders and chose to stay in Wittenberg to minister to the sick and frightened population. By August 18th, there had been 18 deaths in the small town of Wittenberg, including the mayor's wife and the pregnant wife of the chaplain. Concurrently, the plague also struck Breslau, far to the west of Wittenberg. Not knowing what to do, the clergy of Breslau sent a letter to Luther asking for guidance. Although he didn't immediately respond, Roman Catholic mocking of the Wittenberg professors who honored the order of Elector John to flee Wittenberg eventually convinced Luther he needed to answer. The answer was an open letter titled, Whether One May Flee from the Deadly Plague. I'm Mike Yeagley. And I am Evan Gertner. This is Grace on Tap. Grace on Tap is a podcast dedicated to the history and the theology of the Lutheran Reformation all over a nice cold beer. Today, as we're looking at this letter from Luther to the clergy and the people of Breslau, um, it's, it's a letter that wasn't easy for him to write. He didn't respond right away. And when he did respond, uh, there is still the copy of the manuscript manuscript that the printer had from which he made an open letter that was shared throughout Europe to help other leaders in how to respond. And in that manuscript, they can see different types of paper and different types of pen that are used that Luther sat down multiple different times to try to craft this letter in such a way that he gave counsel uh, to leaders and to just neighbors in how to respond. So why, why do they think that Luther had to continually revisit this particular letter. Is there any any theories on that? I mean, this obviously he was busy with the, the plague, dealing with the plague. So initial response, the plague arrives in Breslau and Wittenberg about the same amount of time in August. In Breslau, it continues all the way through November. And that's why they write to him multiple different times requesting a response. And so Luther would be first just busy in the spiritual care of the people of Wittenberg. Uh, we mentioned how the mayor's wife died. Um, it said that she died pretty much in Luther's hands as she was caring for her. But then later during the struggle of the plague, um, a historian has conjectured that Luther was experiencing a great deal of depression and despair over the people that he cared about dying. And he, I would think, found it difficult to write kind of a clinical response of how everyone is supposed to respond while he found his own response challenged and mixed with his grief. You know, one of the things that uh, when I read up on this, uh, Luther opened his home. They didn't have hospitals. Uh, Some bigger cities would, and he wished that there were more hospitals. Right, right. But there were but no, not in Wittenberg. In Wittenberg, there was no hospital. Uh, so Luther's home became a hospital uh, of sorts uh, where the sick would come and, and he took care of them. And that's that's how he ended up uh, holding the mayor's wife as she died. Uh, also, the chaplain's wife, who was pregnant, uh, passed away in, in, that, in that plague. And Luther's own wife, Catherine uh, Katie, was pregnant during this time. And she was in her third trimester. Uh, by the end of the no November, the plague had receded from Wittenberg, and in December, Luther's wife delivered their child, Elizabeth. And so as they're opening their home and caring for the sick in Wittenberg, 
Luther would, in any moment of caring for someone, also look over and see Katie pregnant, severe, greatly pregnant. Greatly pregnant. <laughs> That's just, a good you can't way just be a little pregnant. She was greatly pregnant, right? And, and caring for the sick. And all the while realizing that there are other mothers and wives and pregnant women in Wittenberg who are getting this disease and dying. I, I mean, it, it, it's easy to imagine uh, uh, Luther, who struggled with depression all of his life, especially fi- finding this a, a struggling period uh, and really having to rely on his faith as he ministered to these people, uh, both spiritually and physically. Uh, one, one of the things that as we go into this, I think we need to, uh, the, the plague is obviously we have right now, we have the COVID-19 virus uh, working its way through the world. Um, and, and it's very similar to uh, it has very a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences. Yeah, so the bubonic plague. We'll go through that first, just so we know that Luther's advice is directed to the bubonic plague. He didn't understand COVID-19. He didn't know everything we were going on. But it might be helpful to just know some of the things that were happening with the bubonic plague. It was spread maybe by rats or other vermin, communicated to human beings by fleas, although I've read some stuff that maybe there was other things involved as well. Infection of cuts and abrasions of the skin, uh, breathing the air, which had been polluted as the sick would cough up germs, uh, maybe even contact with clothing, or the, um, they thought it might be communicated through the excrement of the ill. Uh, it had a very short incubation period. It would manifest itself with a fever, a rapid pulse, delirium, speech disorder, loss of consciousness, and the second day boils as large as a hen's eggs would appear on the neck, legs, or in the armpits. And then it was said if the boils would penetrate into the lymph glands and infect the bloodstream, it would lead to death within three or four days. In cases where the germs entered through an abrasion and directly into the bloodstream, uh, death could occur in a moment to an apparently healthy person. At the height of the bubonic plague epidemic in Europe, the mortality rate was 30 to 90%. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. The, uh, it was fascinating. Luther, in this, in this paper that we're going through today, there is a point where he, he uh, has conjecture on how the, the plague is spread. And, and he is remarkably accurate. He, he talks about evil spirits in the breath uh, and, uh, that come out and, and infect others. Um, it's, it's almost like a, 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 a very primitive germ theory mm-hmm. that he, he has there. It's, it's fascinating. So, it, But as much as I just described bubonic plague, yeah. uh, and you know, they don't know the incubation period, they don't know uh, how the disease is particularly transmitted, they might have some ideas. As we look at this advice... We do have a little bit more scientific knowledge now about COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, they didn't even have, well, as we mentioned, they didn't even have hospitals. I mean, now we have hospitals. We have uh, things like the CDC, the National, National Interest Institute of Health. We have, we have many, many experts on epidemiology who God has put, and, and uh, as, a, as a faithful, as a Christian, we need to recognize that God has put these, given these people the vocations, whether they're faithful or not, doesn't matter. God has given them the vocation of understanding this, and we need to honor what they say. This is we had a discussion about honor thy father and mother. Yeah, to honor those in positions of authority, and this is a perfect example of of people who have far more expertise than us, 
And and so we have to honor that and, and, and listen to what they have to say. If they say, stay indoors, stay indoors. And that's that sort of thing is 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 important. Now, I don't know what happened at St. Paul Hamburg this morning, but at Our Shepherd, uh, we talked about how we had spent time uh, this week cleaning all the surfaces that people would touch with bleach. Uh, we washed down all the pews in our church with bleach, and uh, we had a screen uh, during the sharing of the piece with a note that said, please use a form other than a handshake for a greeting during the time of peace. Oh, okay. Um, and I, it, an abundance of caution is being exercised, uh, I think. And then we tried to put it that this isn't just a reaction to COVID-19, but that it's also flu season. And we don't uh, want to put anyone that's in a, um, a risk of getting sick and put them into more risk by our own behaviors. The, the only thing that I uh, I recall from church today was a, a, a group of guys sitting in the back complaining about people who were coughing. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that was, That's right. That like, they were just like, oh, I can't believe they came in. They were, you know, somebody's sick. And, you know, so it was, well, businesses are having to deal with this now. Absolutely. And they're questions of uh, paid sick time off. And, uh, if you're in a, a job where you don't have a lot of sick time and you need that employment, but you're sick, there's a tension there. Do I stay home, which would be helpful to my community, or do I go to work because I need that paycheck? Uh, Rochester area schools this week just announced that they are eliminating incentives for perfect attendance for the remainder of this year, realizing that they might unnecessarily be causing someone who has a communicable disease like the flu to come to school to maintain their perfect attendance. Right, right. Now that's that's it's commendable that they're that they're doing that, and I, I, I hope every business uh, is looking at that those kind of opportunities to encourage people to do the right thing, recognizing that some uh, some folks uh, uh, find themselves in very very dire straits when it comes to their paycheck, and and they need to. I think uh, hopefully businesses will be sensitive to that also. So now let's get into the details of Luther's letter. Um, and, and this, uh, it's titled, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague, uh, to the Reverend Dr. Johann Hess, pastor at Breslau, and to his fellow servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was an open letter, uh, and, but it was also particularly sent to Johann Hess, who was the leader of the Reformation in Silesia, where Breslau was located. So uh, after a, a little opening um, that Luther has, uh, he, he starts getting into, there, there are basically two positions that, that he's going to sort of flesh out. Uh, the first one is, uh, is the faithfulness of, of staying, uh, of, 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 of making yourself, of, you know, ignoring the, ignoring the plague or, or living and, and serving others through the plague uh, in place, so staying. So there. one option is to stay. One option is to stay, and then he he talks about leaving. And so let's just uh, to begin with. Uh, this is the staying one. To begin with, some people are of the firm opinion that one need not and should not run away from the deadly plague. Rather, since death is God's punishment, which He sends upon us for our sins, we must submit to God and with a true and firm faith patiently await our punishment. So that sentence makes it sound like. When death's arriving, welcome it, receive it, and in the midst of it, do what you can. Right. And we'll get into this later, but there is a point later. He that, counters that point. That he counters bit. that point. And he says, 
so we'll, we'll hold so we, tight. We're, we're gonna we're gonna be true to the document. And we'll, we were a little nervous, weren't we, Mike? As we were looking at this, if we just said that one sentence, it looks like essentially uh, all deaths are a reminder that the sin is in the world. Just welcome death. And yeah. we're like, I think he has more to say than that. The document is fourteen pages long. <laughs> was sort of, and surprised. that's just the second paragraph. Yeah. yeah so so that was that, that certainly it, it gave me pause. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this show. Yes. <laughs> that's going to be our position. And what's the second way? He the the second way is um, uh, he, he says, uh, uh, basically, uh, since it is generally true of Christians that few are strong and many are weak in their faith and are not, you know, are, are not, aren't able to face death so easily, aren't, aren't able to face death so easily, one simply cannot place the same burden on everyone. And then he references uh, Mark 16 and uh, Romans 15 and Corinthians say, saying that, uh, to put it briefly and concisely, uh, um, there's two ways you could run away from death. Right. The first is is not a good one, and that would be to run away in disobedience to God's word and command. And and when you when you run away from death in that way, you are serving your own self without thought of anybody else and disobeying the call that God has given you to do for the care of others. And then the second way, and he's going to go into this in a lot of detail, is is a faithful running away from the plague or a faithful you know where where you are doing it in faithfulness and we're going to talk about that in detail uh, but that's mostly to avoid making yourself sick to avoid carrying the plague to others avoiding um and and uh, basically uh, uh trying to serve the community by pulling yourself out of it and, and not 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 He'll, for instance, comment on sh- when he's talking about a pastor. If your church has multiple pastors, not every single pastor has to stay. The, the number of pastors that are needed to spiritually care, care for those who are sick need to stay. The rest should flee. Right, right. And, and he'll use that kind of lens. What is necessary should stay. What is unnecessary should go. So, so he when he talks about who has a responsibility to stay uh, in the plague mm-hmm. uh, and face the plague, he gives he really goes into the vocations. Uh, that's where he starts, and he talks about the the people who have been given a vocation by God to serve others as their job. And so, the first one that's been given a vocation by God to serve others is in the spiritual ministry, such as preachers. And pastors, they remain steadfast before the peril of death. And they have a command from Christ to be a good shepherd, to lay down their life uh, for the sheep, um, because the hireling is just going to see the wolf and flee. He quotes John 10 there. Uh, But he he doesn't say every preacher has to stay. But he even says where enough preachers are available in one locality, and they agree to encourage the other clergy to leave in order not to expose themselves needlessly to danger. I like how... The encouragement comes from the one who is staying and letting the other pastors know, I've got this. Right. Rather than the pastor who wants to flee say, you've got this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure a little bit of that might have happened back then. But yeah, it is good for the one who stays to say, I've got this. You go in peace. And and you know and really with the knowledge that I might die and the the, the faithful are going to need you later. And he uses uh, an example from the early church fathers and from the book of Acts. The one from the early church fathers is about Saint Athanasius, who'd fled from his church that his life would be spared because many others were there to still administer his office. And Athanasius' church said, "We still need you, um, so you can go 
we can minister to the people who are right here, but the wider church needs your words. And so that's an example from the early church fathers. Then he uses the example from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 9, um, and then also in 19, where there's two different examples where Paul uh, flees danger to make it possible for him to do work elsewhere. Right. So the next group after that uh, is those in public office, such as mayors, judges, and I would say firefighters, police, anybody who has a, a job in public office serving the community to, to maintain governmental structure, to keep, to keep society structured through this, this period of plague. And he recognizes when the civil government pulls away from a place that's in danger, he says fire, murder, riots, and other imaginable disasters can happen, which are great sins. The, the third group that he says is, you know, and it goes, what applies to these two offices, the church and the state, should also apply to persons who stand in a relationship of service or duty to one another. And, and so he talks about servants and masters. So a servant should abandon her master, and in the same way, the master should not abandon her servant. Right. And then also children and parents. Parents should not abandon their children. And children should care for their parents uh, as, as they can. And he says, when there are children who are orphaned, guardians or close friends are under an obligation either to stay with them or to arrange for other nursing care for the sick friends. He said, no one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who will take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. And so he is not only running through the the vocations we have in the church and the vocations we have in our civic society, but then he also runs through the vocations we have in our homes. So he goes into, um, you know, the, the where no such emergency exists and where enough people are available for nursing and taking care of the sick and where voluntarily or by orders, those who are weak in faith make provision so that there are no need for additional helpers or where the sick do not want them and have refused their services I judge that they have an equal choice either to flee or to remain. I think of this as like when uh, arriving on the scene where there's a fire and the firefighters will prevent people who are not trained as firefighters from going into the fire. Right. But the firefighters stay and go into the fire. So there's a duty in the firefighters to protect people from unnecessarily harming themselves while the firefighters have the necessity of placing themselves in harm and danger. Luther talks about how the, uh, the, 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 the impulse to, 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 to protect our lives is implanted by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so he it, says it's a natural tendency, and it's not forbidden from God to defend and care for ourselves. It is even commanded, he says, that every man should as much as possible preserve body and life and not neglect them. And then he gives an example from uh, St. Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, that that God has so ordered the members of the body that each one cares and works for the other, and so this is this is part of we're sort of transitioning into that that second part. So we've talked now about who needs to stay, mm-hmm. and and now he's beginning to transition into the faithfulness of leaving, the faithfulness of of running away from the plague. How it can be faithful, the faithful thing to do, is to run away from the plague. Now, in this moment of transition, I think it's a good time to have a beer break. I think it's a great time for a beer break. Today, we are drinking a beer uh, called Nutter Your Business Peanut Butter Stout, and it's brewed by Grand Armory Brewing. 
And Grand Armory Brewing is located in Grand Haven, Michigan. And they are in a building that used to be the Armory. Thus, they're called Grand Armory Brewing. I, I have to admit, when, when, when this one came up, I, I, I was curious how uh, a, a Nutter Butter Stout would taste. So as a, a chocolate and milk stout base, um, so it's your kind of basic dark chocolate stout um, that then has peanut butter flavor added to it. Now, one of the things that uh, uh, before I, I took a sip of this when we when we came and we started record before we started recording, and I noted I didn't taste the peanut butter, but then I took a, a, a I, I took a whiff of it, and, and boy, it's a strong peanut butter smell that comes off of it, and with that with the with the aroma. Uh, the the flavor comes out. It's it's fun. I must have taken a drink without breathing or something. <laughs> so they say uh, in the description on the Grand Armory Brewing website about this beer, built on a chocolatey milk stout base, the peanut butter makes this beer taste like your favorite proprietary cookie. If anyone asks why you'd want a beer that tastes like a dessert, tell them it's none of your business. <laughs> It is a real. Uh, 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 it's a, it's a very good beer. And locally, in uh, around us in the Detroit area, it is found at the Brown Iron Brew House on tap. Prost, prost. So we're now heading back to who has the freedom to be able to leave. So um, Luther starts into this, and there's a, um, a a lot of examples that we're going to go into here. But I'm going to start with this, uh, this sentence where he says, It is not forbidden, but rather commanded, that by the sweat of our brow we should seek our daily food, clothing, and all we need, and avoid destruction and disaster whenever we can, as long as we do so without detracting from our love and duty toward our neighbor. How much more appropriate it is, therefore, to seek to preserve life and avoid death that this can be done without harm to neighbor. I love how he places every individual in relationship to self-preservation and into preservation of our neighbor. And that, that just is going to be a topic of tension for anybody that's in a place of struggle with a plague or with uh, COVID-19 or, or any, any sort of infectious disease. It's, it's something that that we all have to struggle with and every situation is going to be different but he he maintains that tension through that whole that whole sentence there in this and and he he actually brings out in scripture there's a whole paragraph he dedicates to all the different examples in scripture many different examples from scripture where faithful people fled Jacob for, fled from his brother Esau to avoid death at his hands uh, uh, Elijah um, after he had destroyed all the prophets of Baal, um, fled when Queen Jezebel threatened him. Uh, Moses uh, fled into the land of Midian when the king searched for him in Egypt. Um, and all of them fled death when it was possible to save their own life without depriving their neighbors of anything. Uh, they first met the obligations of their neighbor, and then they fled. So he, he sort of uh, uh, expects somebody to have a... Okay, that's fine. Those are people fleeing from somebody trying to kill them, blah, blah, blah. But they weren't fleeing from pestilence is what is. And so, yeah. he, so to kind of create this idea that pestilence is some unique thing. That from either, God. That this isn't, this isn't some man coming to chase you. This is God through the pestilence coming to, 
discipline you is sort of and that you're supposed to just face the discipline of god so then he says according to holy scripture god sends four scourges pestilence famine sword and wild beast and he he kind of runs if you can flee from a wild beast without harming your neighbor then you can also flee from pestilence without harming your neighbor if a sword comes against you and you can flee do so but if you, it's your vocation to protect others with your use of the sword then don't flee right and he, he says you know that that faulty thinking that you you know just because it's pestilence you shouldn't stay and fight it he says by such reasonings when a house is on fire no one should run outside or rush to help because such a fire is punishment from god and that's ridiculous yeah you know and that's that's uh he goes, ultimately, such talk will lead to the point where we abbreviate the Lord's Prayer and no longer pray, deliver us from evil, amen, since we would have to stop praying to be saved from hell and stop seeking to escape it. It, too, is God's punishment, is every kind of evil. Where will this end? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's basically building the case, you know, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Christ commands us to, to pray the, to escape evil. Why is this any different? You know, this is, this is the same thing. And then he answers, after he talks about how we should stay or flee, depending on our relationship to our neighbor, uh, he points out that we can pray. We can pray against every form of evil and guard against it to the best of our ability in order to not act contrary to God. And I find this advice to pray to always be helpful. And I realize sometimes it will get mocked by people and say, uh, you know, you just offer prayers, but you don't do anything. Well, Luther said pray. But it's not that he said that's the only thing we do. He said, but we must pray. And in the same way, we must also uh, use the the knowledge and the gifts that we have to be able to care for people in their harm. And so he said, uh, no neighbor can live alongside another without risk to a safety, property, wife, or child. We must run the risk that there's harm in this world, but we must yet still care for other people. You know, we, and he goes, in the same way we must and we owe it to our neighbor to accord him the same treatment and other troubles and perils also. If his house is on fire, love compels me to run to help him extinguish the fire. And if there aren't enough people to put out the fire, I may go, I may either, or if there are enough people to put out the fire, mm-hmm. he can either go or can stay. To It's the same situation. If it, and it goes back to that original position that Luther mapped out. If there are people there, if there are enough people there to serve in those vocations that are that are needed, you're free to go. Mm-hmm. And so when the devil is in this world bringing doubt and chaos and fear, we can bring a blow against the devil with God's mighty promise by which he encourages us to minister to those who are needy. We bring uh, a striking, uh, deadly blow to chaos when we simply enter into chaos and serve people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so as we look at fear and as we look at the fright that's happening, uh, we could just respond by mocking people. Or I've heard some people say, well, it's only going to harm the elderly. The, the mortality rate of COVID-19 is much higher for the elderly, but it hasn't seemed to kill any children yet. Thank goodness for that. I'm like, well, I still want to care for the elderly. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I quite just say, oh, well. <laughs> Obviously, you're not over 70. <laughs> right. That's right. It's, I think you'd be more interested. <laughs> I, I'd be more interested in the mortality rate if I wasn't 45. That's right. But So I love how Luther starts to close this paper by pointing out that we strike a blow against the devil uh, when we bring God's mighty promise into the world 
And that's how he encourages us to minister to those who are in need. One of the things that Luther uses this as an opportunity to call for hospitals to be built. And, uh, and that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And here it is, 1527. Um, there's only a few hospitals in, the, in all of Europe, uh, you know, a handful of them. And, and he's talking, he says, um, uh, it, it would be well where, the, where there is such an efficient government in cities and states to maintain municipal homes and hospitals staffed with people to take care of the sick so that patients from private homes can be sent there. And then he said, that would indeed be a fine, commendable, and Christian arrangement to which everyone should offer generous help and contributions, particularly the government. Yeah. And it really is, a, uh, you know, we, we have to take a step back and, again, give thanks to God for having built all these, you know, and it's through God's, uh, I'm going to say, God's, uh, um, uh, 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 God's work amongst us that those hospitals exist whether they're staffed by christians or non-christians it doesn't matter this is all part of the 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 things god has put in place to care for us first article gifts i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth means i trust that god has created uh this is what luther says god has created medicines and provided provided us with intelligence to guard and take good care of the body so that we can live in good health. It is shameful for a person to pay no heed to his own body or to fail to protect it against the plague the best he is able, and then to infect and poison others who might have remained alive if he had taken care of his body as he should have. He is thus responsible before God for his neighbor's death, and he is a murderer many times over. Uh, Luther is not a Christian scientist. He is not about to just give up uh, all medicines and say, it's God's will whether I live or die. He trusts that it's God's will to give us medicine. It's God's will to give us the intelligence to know how to guard and take care of the body that we have, but also the body that he has provided to our neighbor. So um, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Yeah, um, let's move on to where he uh, directs us to um, how, how to live in these times. Um, he says we must admonish people uh, to attend church and listen to a sermon so that through God's word they will know how to live and how to die. So this is his point. Even when plagues are not around, uh, we should be just regularly listening to sermons through God's word so that when these terrible times arrive, we've been well equipped by God's word. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, the word of God is always, always helpful. And, and whether, whether that is delivered in person or delivered through a, pod, a webcast or, or however, however that's going to happen with whatever the, the government authorities advise us. If the government authorities advise us uh, to, to have webcasted Yeah, services. I mean, churches might have to, you know, if, if gatherings are closed, uh, you know, like how in Italy they're not uh, having any sporting events. Uh, with uh, an audience, it may happen that our churches for a time will have to find a different way to communicate God's word. And there was was that, that I'm thinking specifically of the church in, not a Christian church, but a church in South Korea that uh, insisted on on gathering and ended up spreading the virus uh, and thousands of people were infected. And, and so it's, it is, you know, it is one of those areas where we, we as Christians need to uh, in order to protect our ministry, to protect our proclamation of Christ, we have to be concerned about our neighbor, uh, even if it means uh, foregoing a couple of weeks of service. You know, uh, which I, 
I, I, I, I would personally hate, but that, yes. that would be something that we might have to do. And the second thing he says is to just regularly go to confession and take the sacrament uh, regularly so that we are living in a condition in which we're reconciled to God and to our neighbor uh, so that when a pastor or a chaplain arrives, he can provide uh, for the souls of the people and know that all has been committed to God. Um, and he even points out that there may come a time when there are many fatalities and only two or three pastors are on duty. It might be impossible to visit everyone, to give instruction, and to teach them what a Christian ought to know in the times of the anguish of death. And so we must be prepared to share with our neighbor the consolation and comfort of conscience, knowing that in a time of, of high sickness, we can't count on the pastor to do that work. I love how he places that responsibility in neighbor-to-neighbor conversation. One of the things that, um, you know, uh, I, I, Jim Nestenkin uh, mm-hmm. talks a lot about is the importance of Christian-to-Christian uh, absolving our sins. Yes. And, and, and you know, it, you don't have to be a pastor to, to, be, to say to someone, you know, Jesus Christ has died for your sins. You, you must know that as a Christian, you, you are forgiven. And that is that is a very helpful thing to do, and you don't need to you don't need to run to the pastor and get that. You... Luther even has some criticism of people who have not attended church, but then call upon the pastor during times of sickness. And he says, "We cannot set up a private pulpit and altar daily at their bedside simply because they have despised the public pulpit and altar to which God has summoned and called them." Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty rough. <laughs> Pretty rough. Well, there's Luther. The third time thing he says is, if you do want a chaplain or a pastor to come, let the sick person send word in time to call him and let him do so early enough while he is still in his right mind before the illness overwhelms the patient. I, I like this advice because uh, as a pastor, sometimes I'm called to visit with the dying by the family. The family will call me. But they will wait. They will wait and they'll wait to the point where there's no opportunity for conversation with the person who is dying. And I I am there. I'll share prayers with the family. We speak God's word. We'll sing hymns. But I think how much more rich that moment could have been if I would have been able to talk to the person who is dying as well. Right, right. So, um, and I think you know, the, the, this ends up with uh, Luther talking about the importance of having a good cemetery and he things does. like that. <laughs> well, he talks about the location of the cemetery because it was the practice of some to have uh, the cemetery right in the middle of the city. And he said, maybe it's a good idea to have it outside the city. It's probably a good idea to have it outside the city. <laughs> and uh, so, so he goes off into a little bit of a, which was actually given the plague, it made sense. It makes perfect sense not to have the cemetery right in the middle of where all the food is and everything else. So, um, but for this discussion, I think we can skip over. We, that we can part. skip over that section. And he then says, in closing, we admonish and plead with you in Christ's name to help us with your prayers to God, so that we may do battle with word and precept against the real and spiritual pestilence of Satan and his wickedness, with which. Uh, now poisons and defiles the world. Amen. I like how he says, let's pray. And I was going to just say that. That's, the, the, the power of prayer is, it has always been uh, underestimated. And, and, you know, the, and so, yes, I, uh, it's wonderful that he ends with that. So we're going to close this episode. I'm going to say the last line now. May Christ our Lord and Savior preserve us all in pure faith and fervent love, unspotted and pure until his day. Amen. Pray for me, a poor sinner. Amen.
Prost. Prost. <lacht>